0: Hey, it's Dave, and welcome once again to Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything, continuing our theme this week about drinking. And we're getting such a good response on this one. I didn't plan on it going on for this long, and I certainly won't make this the theme of the podcast for the duration of its life. But I do think that there's a lot of people who are enjoying it, if that's the right word for it, or relating to it, or benefiting from it. This week, we're going to jump right in uh, to an expert, and this is somebody who... They struggled with alcohol when they were young and they really got into some trouble and then they turned their life around and now they're a very successful counselor, family, therapy, children, marriage and drug and alcohol as well. They have two degrees. They're incredibly intelligent and gifted and smart and they are here to help us out. So let's dive right in this week on the podcast And uh, it is called, as always, take a shower, show up on time and don't steal anything based on the book of the same thing, uh, based on the book of the same name. And let's get started. A couple of weeks ago, I put on Facebook, uh, if you want to be on my podcast about drinking, hey, send me an email. And it was really interesting because I got, in about 15 or 20 minutes, I had probably 15 or 20 emails and I had to take the post down because I wanted to be, get, be able to get back to as many people as I could. And one of them I got was from, a, isn't it great when your friends offer up your services? Uh, and And so in this case, a friend heard this and said, hey, you should talk to my friend Carla. So we have Carla on the phone right now who is... Um, her name followed by a couple of letters here, M-A-L-M-F-T-L-A-D-C. Carla, I think I know what L-A-D-C stands for. What is M-A and M uh,
1: A MA is Master of Arts Degrees, so I've got a Master of Arts in Marriage and Family Therapy, um, okay. and then the L-M-F-T is a Licensed Marriage and Family
0: Therapist. And you've got a couple of practices and uh, you've got some people that work for you and you've been very successful, but sorry, excuse me. But one of the things that's interesting, and by the way, first of all, Carla, thanks for taking the time. It's a Sunday afternoon. I don't know what you'd normally be doing on a Sunday afternoon, but thanks for taking the time to help people because this is what you do all week. And I'm sure that you you would have probably said, you know what? It's a Sunday. I'd rather not, but I appreciate you doing this. Um, You had, you, you got started in, with some experience with alcohol yourself and a little bit of an issue yourself. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I drank, you know, in high school, I think I started drinking at age 15 or 16. Um, and I think back then the culture was, you know, big keg parties and whatnot. And so I kind of easily fell into the, the, norm at the time which was you know to drink and be a partier and um and then that carried on into my 20s and I basically developed a problem where um I was drinking several days a week um and got myself in some trouble getting DWI's and basically you know wrecked my entire life uh by using alcohol too much so I dabbled in a little bit of other drugs as well but primarily alcohol was my my drugs. So
0: what do you think that made it like when, when I was a kid, I also drank when I was about 15, (coughs) excuse me, acid reflux. Um, I drank when I was 15, 16, 18 with my buddies and uh, it was never an issue. And in my twenties, I don't think I hardly drank at all unless I went out. What was different about you and what is different for some kids that they start at 15 and that it moderates and they go to social drinking? But you didn't. What was? What do you think was different about you? Was it? Um, was it? Uh, I, I don't know, like a mental issue, depression, anxiety, or was it just you really loved it?
1: Well, I think that I was always a really shy kid, um, and so I really struggled just coming out and being outgoing. And you know, I I fit in, but um, I never really felt comfortable socially. And when I started drinking. I found that, you know, wow, all my anxiety went away and I became this outgoing, fun person. Um, And so it it drastically changed my, um, kind of my personality in a way when I was drinking. Um, And then I I don't think I really learned how to, you know, be social, have social skills um, without alcohol. And so then I kind of became like dependent on that to have friends, to be cool, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, back then I don't think we really looked at it as a mental health issue because there, it was just much different in the nineties. Uh, but now I would say that, you know, I probably had some social anxiety, um, and I used alcohol uh, to self-medicate and to cope. Um, and then, you know, trying to quit. I don't, I think, you know, I felt like, who am I without alcohol? Because alcohol kind of turned me into this fun person.
0: Did your friends find you fun? I mean, they must have. I mean, sometimes you have friends that drink too much and they're annoying, but your friends <laughs> found drunk Carla kind of fun to be around. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, at first, I think for a while, and then I think as time went on, I think that I'm sure I became annoying and, you know, periodically would drink, you know, more than everybody else and get too drunk. And, um, that was, you know, a, year, a couple of years in when it started becoming really a problem more so in college, Um, you know, where I was staying up later than everybody else and, um, getting in trouble. And, um, so I, I, you know, I think that, um, I think I have the same story as most alcoholics where it starts out as fun. You do well until you're not doing well. Um, I think it's also really hard to see yourself and to see the destruction that alcohol is doing in your life when you're in the middle of it yourself. Um, Just our brain functioning when we're actively drinking or using chemicals isn't really working. I mean, our executive functioning doesn't work, so we're not able to really link consequences with behaviors, you know. So I kept thinking, yeah, I'll just I'll drink and it'll be different this time and it'll be different this time. And it wasn't different. In fact, it got worse over time. So. I do think I became that ir- irritating person that drank too much hmm. and passed out or whatever. Yeah.
0: Does it become a point where if you drink too much, like let's say every night, four glasses of wine, that even, let's say a few years of that, does it affect your thinking or your mental state even the next day at 12 o'clock when you're totally sober and you're at work? I mean, does alcohol, when it's that you know consistent, does it affect your thinking and your frame of mind even when you're not drinking?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it takes probably uh, several hours to get the actual alcohol out of your body. And then your liver continues to work to get rid of the toxic um, nature of the alcohol and the damage it's done. So your liver keeps working. Um, And I would say, you know, if people are drinking either a lot all at once or several days a week, um, it does negatively impact their thinking outside of when they're actually drinking. I think some people think, well, I don't drink every day. Um, they maybe they drink Thursday, Friday, Saturday, something like that. Um, but really, it takes our body, you know, a few days to recover from alcohol. I think that we underestimate the negative impact it has. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, and there's a, just a ton of research out there on the negative impact it has on your brain, your prefrontal cortex, and your ability to problem solve and make good decisions.
0: Which is going to affect the quality of your life and your work and your relationships, even when you're not sober or when you're even when you are sober. Um, What was the, the tipping point for you or the last straw for you? I mean, if you drank from a young age for a long time, many years, was there one story or one incident where Carla said, oh, my God, this has got to stop? Or was there several incidents where you said this has got to stop?
1: Uh, no, there was really one incident. I got a DWI, um, and I had negative consequences legally, and I had to get sober. Um, and I'm extremely grateful for the legal system for essentially saving my life. Had that not happened, I don't know if I would have ever gotten sober.
0: I'm glad that worked for you. Would you say that there's a lot of people that the legal system does not affect it? Because I've just i talked to somebody just a minute ago on a previous recording and we'll hear from her um, either before or after this podcast. <clears throat> her name is Charlotte, and she, you know, her doctor said you have to go to rehab. She went to six weeks of rehab, and as soon as she got out, she started drinking again. So those consequences for her didn't work. There are some people. Why does the consequences it works so well for you, Carla, but it doesn't work for other people? Why can you explain that?
1: Well, I think that I had more than one consequence, um, and it it required me to be forced into being sober of my own accord, you know, not someone making me go into treatment. Um, You know, the law essentially made me get help, but I also made a decision that I wanted to have a different life. Um, I also think that I had a pretty good support system. I've got a pretty, you know, healthy, you know, family who was, you know, there for me. Um, I don't think everybody has that. Um, I also had a lot going for me at the time. You know, I had, done a few years in college. Um, I was always, you know, smart and capable. Um, And I, you know, I had something to look forward to, I think. Um, And I don't think that's true for everybody. Um, But it took me several consequences, not just a DWI. I had several other consequences that, you know, played a role in it. And I would say, you know, many of my family members probably thought I should probably get sober Five, at least five years before I did get sober. Okay. I got sober when I was age 25,
0: so. At 25, okay. Uh, how did you do it? Did you go to rehab or did you just put the bottle down for the last time and never touch it again? How did that work for you?
1: You know, I went to treatment. Um, I, I don't know that treatment was the change agent for me, though, I think. I started going to AA meetings um, and I started, you know, I was young. I was in my mid-20s. I didn't know anybody that didn't drink alcohol. Everybody that I knew drank. Um, it's so socially acceptable. Um, but I started going to AA and I found other people don't drink. I was uh, very shocked that, <laughs> that there were other people out in the world that didn't drink as well. Um, and I built basically a friend group that was sober. Um, and I've continued that throughout the years. I've got 17 years sober. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the community that I was able to get to know by going to meetings. Not all meetings are good. Um, and it took me a while to find some meetings that I liked, but um, I didn't know what else to do with myself. Everybody else that I knew drank.
0: Uh, AA is something that works. I don't know much about it at all, but it worked. It worked for my sister, for example. Uh, it's worked so well for other people. Um, uh, Charlotte, that we talked to a little while ago, that I talked to, she goes to meetings and and celebrates her, you know, her landmarks, her you know, birthdays or weeks or whatever, and uh, and she's drinking the entire time. AA, and maybe you can't explain it, but AA doesn't work for everybody. If that's true, then you could say that different programs or detox or, or rehab or whatever, they just there's no one fix that fits everybody.
1: No, I mean, there's different types of treatment. There is 12-step treatment, which are, which is based off the model that AA has the 12 steps, but there's cognitive behavioral treatment, health realization, harm reduction, where you're just taking a medication to help you not drink. Um, in AA, they say it works if you work it. So if I show up to AA and I do the program, how it's recommending I do, which is work through the steps, get a sponsor, meet with your sponsor, show up early, do service work, stay late, help out, get involved. If you do the things that they're recommending, it works.
0: It's like a diet. A if lot you, of people, go ahead. I don't yeah. want to interrupt you.
1: There's a lot of people that, you know, they get scared away by the the God idea. Um, and I did, too. You know, early on, I thought, I don't want anything to do with that. I grew up Catholic and thought, well, that doesn't sound like a fun life. Going to going to hell because I sinned, I, that's kind of what I remember learning growing up. And so um, I did have a hard time with that idea as well. However, I didn't know any other way. I didn't know any other options at the time I got sober. There weren't a lot of alternative options to different treatment approaches and stuff like that so
0: okay and you don't drink now at all you said 17 years sober you don't drink now at all
1: yeah no i don't drink now at all have I the, anything.
0: and and I, I admire that because i want to talk to you really quick about there's so many people who say oh i don't want to quit i just want to cut back can a person success can a person that's had a real issue with drinking successfully cut back or is there no cookie cutter answer for that
1: Yeah, you know, I think they can, uh, to a point, I think that how long they maintain that is, you know, questionable. Um, I think, you know, for me, I can't speak for everybody. But for me, it's kind of like once you step over that line from what we would maybe call normal or healthy drinking, if there is such a thing, into problematic drinking, it's almost like, I don't think controlling my drinking would have I wouldn't have gotten out of it, you know, that high that I was getting, you know, when I was able to drink as much as I wanted. Um, So I do think that it works for some people to control their drinking. In fact, in the work that I do, um, I often there's oftentimes people that we catch, I think, earlier in the disease process, disease process. They haven't wrecked their entire lives They're, You know, they've got a family. They've got a job. Their life is pretty good. There are a lot of people that do cut back and they are successful. As far, as far as I've followed, you know, I, I can't follow them till they're, you know, 70, 80 years old. I don't know if that will maintain itself. But, yeah, I mean, and people, sometimes they get involved in their church. Um, there's different ways that people can, like, supplement uh, the the social part of, you know, uh, drinking that people oftentimes benefit from.
0: What about people who just, they're, they don't want to drink socially? They just drink alone. They're on their couch watching Netflix and they're having their second bottle of wine is there, I mean, that that's, that's, I think it's pretty common. I don't know, but they're not then it for the social aspect. They don't go out and get obnoxious with their friends necessarily. They just want to drink.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're alone and you don't have any accountability, whether you're staying sober or you're drinking, that's hard. It's just, it's the same as, you know, being on a diet. If you don't have accountability following your own rules doesn't always work the greatest. Um, You know, and drinking a bottle of wine, that's you know, wine's stronger than beer and it's it's a bottle of wine is a really it's a good amount of alcohol that someone would be drinking as well. So a person drinking a bottle of wine at home alone I would be concerned
0: about. How can alcohol this is this is a weird question. The reason I read when you just said a, a bottle of wine, I was watching A documentary the other day on the group Tears for Fears from the 80s. Everybody wants to rule the world and shout. And Tears for Fears was a big band back then. And they're reforming, and they've dealt with. They said, well, they dealt with a tragedy. Well, what was the tragedy? The lead singer, his wife, at probably about. She looked like she's about 42 or 45. She died of the benefit of the of the side effects, not benefits, of alcoholism. And he said she drank two bottles of wine a day. And she was, you know, 120 pounds. How does alcohol kill somebody? And maybe there's different ways, you know, but what does it do to our body that eventually you could be 42 years old and die of alcoholism?
1: Oh, it does all kinds of things. I think we drastically underestimate the negative impact it has on our whole body. Like I said earlier, on our brain for one, right? Um, but our liver is working like double, triple time. And a lot of people that drink a, a lot, um, they start to have alcohol withdrawal symptoms, anxiety, insomnia. But they don't understand that the alcohol or withdrawal from alcohol is the contrib- why they're having those symptoms. And so a lot of people will go to their regular primary doctor. They'll say they have anxiety, they can't sleep. Maybe they're depressed. Their regular doctor will put them on a medication, either a sleeping medication that might be addictive also, or an antidepressant, Um, and then before you know it, they're on more than one chemical, which is another risk factor. Um, So your liver then again is working overtime. Our whole, all of our systems in our body are somewhat related to our liver. Um, And so oftentimes people will have heart disease, high blood pressure, um, diabetes, uh, lots of different like other health issues that alcohol can cause or for sure make worse.
0: I read someone, there was a quiz I saw online. They said, all parts of the body can heal themselves except what? And the answer was teeth. Can the liver heal itself? If you stop drinking today, is your liver better in 30 days or a year?
1: No, but our liver is pretty profound. I mean, I think if we had a pretty healthy lifestyle, our liver could probably get us through three lives. Um, I've, you know, working in the field, have seen many people come into treatment drinking, you know, a half a liter of hard liquor for 30 years and their liver is not functioning real great, but they don't have cirrhosis, they don't have fatty liver, they've, they're overall pretty healthy. Um, but some people, you know, childhood sickness, uh, maybe genetics, they don't have the most high-functioning liver. I see. Okay. There's other variables that can play a role. So, you know, I've had also people that didn't drink very long at all and they had liver damage already. Um, and so it, I think it has a lot to do with, just the person their body type uh, genetics um, if they've had other issues that have had a negative impact on their liver uh, we'll see now with covid we'll see the what has covid done to our liver so right. again we might see more of a um, drastic impact from alcoholism on our liver because covid maybe did some liver damage so yeah it's it's a it's an amazing organ and I think that's part of the problem it can hide it can deceive us and Get us into thinking, like, oh, we can drink all the time; we're fine.
0: Well, isn't it true? You, you—I mean, our our liver doesn't just filter, you know, alcohol, but also chemicals and and cheeseburgers and nachos and basically anything we put into our body is going to affect our liver at some point. I have no idea what I'm talking about.
1: No, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, sh- high sugar foods, um, just anything—I think—out of balance. Um, absolutely. So if I am eating a like really poor diet. My liver is working a little extra hard to get rid of toxins Um, and then, you know, add some alcohol to that and some other things. And before you know it, I'm maybe I'm having liver issues and having a hard time. So my body's having a hard time keeping up with, you know, cleaning itself out.
0: So people will joke about, oh, I've got to give my liver a break because I drank all weekend. Yet they're going through Taco Bell and they're going through Burger King. And so that's, you know, that I mean, listen, I want to make this a health podcast, but that's true, too. Because other things will affect our liver as well, not just alcohol. I want to talk about, mm-hmm. speaking of affecting things, you are, um, I think you do marriage and family counseling too, yeah?
1: Correct, yeah. Okay,
0: how does drinking, and there's no one answer, but let's let's admit it, that drinking does affect the kids and your partner, and, and uh, sometimes in different ways. Your kids can see it happening. Can kids be influenced to drink because mom and dad drank?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a like a social norm or a cultural norm. Um, we'll see that more also in like Minnesota, Wisconsin. I think there's kind of this norm that drinking is normal, having alcohol at family events, having alcohol periodically, like that's all normal and healthy. Um, so kids are growing up in not only their family system, but the culture and the, the community that they live in. And if there's a, you know, when I was growing up, there was this, you know, Drinking was cool. Uh, All the adults did it. Um, The kids, the teenagers did it. Um, So I think that that, there's a bigger system going on there. Um, I think also, you know, parents, when they're drinking, they're teaching their kids. That's how they're teaching their kids how to cope with life. The kids aren't getting other healthier coping skills, you know, whether it might be um, getting a good friend network, getting into sports, doing other things that are good for them um so absolutely i mean i think that ki- oftentimes kids follow the path of their parents but not always you know it's kind of interesting uh, my my grandpa who's passed away now had 50 some years sober actually and he was going to AA. Um, and so my dad was raised in a family that you know there wasn't really alcohol around my grandpa got sober when my dad was in a, was a child um and my my parents didn't really drink that much you know growing up um, and so alcoholism definitely wasn't role models in my house.
0: And it's just one of the, i mean, the, one of those things where you just slowly got into it. And I think that we've talked about this on other podcasts where when you're 15 or 16 or 18, don't, and you have your first drink, you don't go, I'm going to start drinking all the time. It just kind of slowly comes on for most people. Would you say?
1: Right. Absolutely. Okay.
0: What if right now somebody is listening and I think that the, I don't know what our audience for this is. I know how many people listen, but I don't know anybody's story unless they write and tell me their story. And I encourage people to do that. Write and tell me your story so maybe we can learn from your story. Um, what if somebody's listening right now, uh, Carla, and they know that they should cut back, but they've tried to cut back before and it's worked for six days or it's worked for three weeks. What should they do? this time or what should they do differently do you have an answer for that what should somebody do that wants to stop
1: yeah I mean there's a few different things people can do of course they can you know try to go to an AA meeting Um, that's another way to live life without drinking right Um, they can go see their regular uh, primary care doctor and potentially get on some medication that would help them get past that six days And, you know, I think that just doing outpatient therapy, you know, just regular, you know, you get a therapist, you start seeing them. I've helped many people, you know, look at their alcohol use as one of the, you know, negative coping skills that they have. Um, I think that, you know, that's a good start. You know, not everybody has to go into treatment. I think there's a lot of people out there that could probably really benefit from quitting early on. The sooner you do it, the less of an issue you have to deal with when you do finally quit. So Um, yeah, I mean, there's other, you know, some people get involved in their church, some people, there's sober, there's other kinds of sober groups out there that get together and, um, you know, connect. I think that, I think I heard someone else on the podcast talk about some sort of, um, so social band group thing they were in. I can't remember the name of it, but it was like, you know, we're all sober kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so one size does not fit all, everybody. Um, everybody's different. Um, but I mean, if you are if you want to quit, I think it's to start with your doctor is a really good decision because sometimes, you know, alcohol withdrawal can kill people. Um, a lot of times that's how people die from alcoholism. They have a life threatening seizure and it kills them. Um, and it's not from drinking, it's from alcohol withdrawal. Um, And to have someone have the courage to finally get up and quit and then they die from withdrawal is tragic. That is terrible because that
0: is somebody who says, I want to quit, and then they have the seizure. I I want to be respectful of your time, and you've been so kind, and, and, and I think that you have helped so many people who are listening to this in one way or another and i don't know if you're taking new patients or not but i do want to give you a chance to uh offer that up if you know uh, if somebody wants to call you or find your website what's the best way to get a hold of you to maybe schedule a, a, an appointment with you or to find your website and see if there's something there that they want to check into
1: yeah um, we've got myself and then many other providers that i work with that are addiction and mental health so they do both um We are counseling kids and adults. Um, And so our website, ironically, is counselingkidsandadults.com. And the word and is A-N-D. They can go online, they can schedule, self-schedule on our website. If you click a provider you want to see, you pick an appointment time they have opening, you can schedule right there. You can also call in and schedule um, by calling the main number, which is 651. Seven five five four two seven six. They can call during regular business hours and schedule that way as well. So
0: okay, and you're in Oakdale and Lindstrom. Correct. Okay. Um, so if you want to find that website, counseling kids and adults. Say hey, we didn't even talk about the kids thing, but I think that you know that's uh, that's something you can find out more about on the website. Um, I, Carla, I appreciate your information so much. I think that. There's a lot of people who, like I said, listen to the podcast because they find their own stories in the podcast and they find, I think, hope for people like them in the podcast. And uh, my gosh, what what a turnaround, what a story you had. You're married and you've got kids and you've got degrees and you're you said, it's. I got a kick out of this when you said, I went from rags to riches. Well, not money riches, but I'm very blessed and grateful. Uh, and you're very happy, it sounds like, with your life and your profession now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, it is an amazing story. I think it gives a lot of people hope that feel like, you know, I wrecked my life. I can't recover from it. Yeah, you can. Um, I did it, and no one thought I was going to do it. So um, I think anybody can do it if they give a try and they can find some sort of support to help them.
0: Don't you love her calm demeanor? Uh, She just has such a calming voice and presence. And I'm not sure if that's her therapist voice or if that's just the way she is. But Carla, we appreciate you so much. I think one of the things that was interesting about her, sorry, I have acid reflux and I'm taking Prevacid and it hasn't kicked in yet. But every time I talk, it feels like I have to cough. So I'm going to cut this a little bit short before that happens. But I think that um, uh, it's interesting that everybody's got a different story and I think Someone somewhere in this podcast series, you're going to find the story that relates most to you, and whether it leads to a change in your life, I'm not here to encourage a change in your. Well, I am here to encourage a change in your life if you need a change in your life, uh, because I would love to have you have the best life that you possibly can. So whether that is uh, you know through less drinking or exercise or learning from my mistakes, I want you to have the best life you can. So uh, that's kind of what the podcast is all about. Send emails to Dave Ryan at kdwb.com. And we appreciate listening. We'll see you next time on Take a Shower. Show up on time and don't steal anything.